Hey, hey, everybody. This is Sparkle and Destroy, episode 36. I am your host, Haley Crusher Kane, coming to you from San Luis Obispo, California, during the coronavirus lockdown. And today we have a very special and interesting guest, Ben Weasel, the 21st century man exposed. Now, Ben Weasel is the first dude on Sparkle and Destroy podcast. So uh, this should be a very stimulating episode, to be sure. I, for one, and a lot of my friends are excited for a new Screeching Weasel album in the futuristic year 2020, especially right now when the world is really uncertain and we could all use something to sink our teeth into. His new album, we talk about it here on the podcast, uh, Some Freaks of Atavism, and um, you're going to hear a bunch of songs from that album today. Now, before you guys get all freaked out and start writing me a strongly worded email about having a dude on the podcast being interviewed by yours truly... Number one, very important fact, this is my show. I get to do whatever the hell I want, and that's why I have a show. (laughs) Number two, there probably would not even be a podcast and or even a band for me if it wasn't for Ben's uh, seminal pop punk band, Screeching Weasel, which is the baby daddy of all pop punk that came thereafter. Um, You want to disagree? You want to fight me on that? That's fine. Um, but really, pop taught me how to sparkle, and punk taught me how to destroy. So putting those two together, um, that is really where I found myself and uh, found my strength and my um, my sass, if you will. So um, I think this is a really cool way for me to come full circle um, from sitting alone in my room playing Screeching Weasel songs as a teenager to interviewing Mr. Ben Weasel himself, who, even as a teen, I knew... To, to to love Ben Weasel is to hate Ben Weasel. And I think that's exactly how he likes it. But today, we're going to peek behind the Wizard of Oz curtain um, and really just get to know the dude who's very down to earth and someone who has been very encouraging of my music as well. So if you're looking for songwriting tips, as I always am, um, if you just want to nerd out and geek out on this new Screeching Weasel album with me, oh my gosh, you came to the right place. If you just want to listen to some interesting banter about uh, our culture right now in 2020, including why millennials love outdated formats so much, you are in the perfect spot. So sit back, relax, put on some 3D glasses, and uh, let's do this. Let's get real weird. Um, my brain is turning to cheese from the from the um, disruption in my schedule. I can't get combobulated, so yeah. I'm discombobulated. Anyway, I think that's understandable. If someone had told me that, like in the year 2020, I'd be talking to you, and California would be on lockdown, yeah. I would have been like, "Suck an pretty, egg." Man, it's pretty weird. <laughs> it's very weird, but it's very cool. So. And so exciting that we have a new Screeching Weasel record. I mean, for me, I'm a big fan, obviously, so I'm super excited. Lucky 13, the 13th studio release, Some Freaks of Atavism. Now, I um, looked up the word because I'm a good student. And the definition I got was a tendency to revert to something ancient or ancestral, dot, 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 the more civilized a society seems to be, the more susceptible it is to its buried atavism. 
Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's that's a very good uh, definition for these times. So the, the title comes from uh, Hound of the Baskervilles. It's a fictional um, uh, monograph that Holmes refers to early in the novel. And... Um, and it's one of those things that I just wrote down many years ago and saved as, because I thought it would be a good title. And, uh, you know, sort of like, well, that's where I got the title, but then it also has this resonance now. But I think it's the kind of thing that has resonance at any time because there's always a, uh, I don't know, I think there's always a, a push and a pull you know, especially in rock music where we're kind of taking from the past but trying to create something new, but it's very much dependent on the past um, and in how we live our lives, too. You know, I was thinking about um, you sent me a letter when you sent me a record and some other stuff, and you had typewritten it out. And I was telling <laughs> somebody about that, and I said, this wasn't, you know, like a typewriter font printed out. It was actually written on a, on a typewriter. And I said that, you know, you see that a lot with younger people kind of going back to these. It's the same thing, I think, that powers the interest in cassettes. I don't think exactly. the people who listen to cassettes are listening to them because it's it's a great uh, format sound-wise. They're listening to it because it's much harder to fast-forward, you know, it's slower. And you've got to basically sit and listen to the whole album. Yeah. There is this tendency for the old to become the new and vice versa. And uh, so I think it's a thing that can maybe apply to, to any situation, anytime, really. Yeah, that's smart. Yeah. And after 30 years in, in music, I'm sure you've seen these like ebbs and flows of, of how music is being consumed. And to your point about the cassette thing, I think it is the limitation is the freedom because you are limited to only listening to one cassette at once, obviously. And you have to really think about, like, do I want to flip this shit over? Do I need to rewind? Do I need to fast forward? Um, and I think you've also said in interviews before that um, too much choice causes us to be really depressed. Um, and I think my generation, my yeah. old vintage millennial generation, is definitely on that pendulum swing of, like, let's get back to something a little different, a little simpler. Um, in, my, in my view, pop punk... And the kind of music you create is like a throwback to another time. I hope you don't take that offensively. <laughs> it's very modern, but, you know, no one's doing pop punk and no one's doing the kind of music you're doing. When we started, especially when we started doing more pop-based stuff. Yeah. And which we kind of started in 88 and 89, but we really dove into it fully in 91 when we reformed. And at that point, it was that way. At that point, it was a throwback because nobody was really doing that anymore. So I don't, I don't, I mean, again, everything old is new and so forth. I, I, that doesn't bother me in the slightest. I mean, I, I, you're, what you do is informed to a large extent by the times you live in and also by, you know, what you've listened to. And I grew up listening to a lot of different kinds of music, but, but one of them was certainly, um, some of the great pop music ever uh, recorded, I think, which was a lot of the bubblegum yeah. uh, group of the 60s. So, yeah. uh, I mean, it's, um, but to your point about choice, uh, you know, yeah, there was a, there was a study done 
a couple of years ago, essentially proving that, that the more choice you give people, like the brain can only process so much. And so it actually creates anxiety and depression to have too much. And, you know, I remember part of the reason um, I'm not really into music the way I used to be is because there's, there's too much. Yeah, there's, there's too much. Too, it almost yeah. paralyzes you. And I remember going to the record shop, you know, when I was a teenager and you had to go to certain shops that carried what they called imports back then, <laughs> even though they weren't imported, um, but from the independent um, distributors to buy your punk records or your just weird records in general. And, um, and that seemed overwhelming, just the sheer mass of that, which looking back, it's laughable because it was like usually one small section of, a, of an entire store. Um, so, I, I, you know, and I don't know if there's a solution for it, but I do know I feel pretty smart uh, now for in 1993 uh, when we did Anthem going and um, trying to basically – looking at and seeing this seems to be the way the world is going and and um, doing essentially an entire album based on that concept or even that feeling of yeah. there's too much, things are too bright, and, and, and then kind of tying that in with the idea of panic attacks and stuff, which I was suffering from quite a lot at the time. Um, and I think it was very effective, at least on that level, but I also think I look back. That's one of the rare occasions where I look back at my stuff and go, "Man, I absolutely nailed it." In absolutely. terms of in terms of seeing where things were going. Yeah, in the future, it's amazing to me were, listening to Anthem. It's like it's 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 warning us the sense of isolation yeah. and the the sense of distance between people. And um, I actually got a lot of parallels between this new album and Anthem a little bit, just in the sense of the the sort of like uh, not um, claustrophobic kind of dark uh vibe you know yeah. that's permeating it and it's kind of a thematic thing throughout um you also have your live in 88 live record on spotify right now which people should check out because when you look when you listen to that and then go to more of the pop you know the pop punk you originated screeching weasel originated um it's it's amazing how much uh <laughs> it's just amazing how much you guys have changed, obviously. I mean, the lineup has changed completely and everything's changed completely. But um, I love the fact that you put on something like that live album, Warts and All, and then this new album, um, Some Freaks of Atavism, that is going to freaking blow people's minds because it's like so full. It's guitars and it's lush and it's big. And um, I think that's really cool that you're kind of putting it all out there. You know, your evolution over this this period and the people that are following you are just going to be so... Um, excited by this uh, new evolution of the new record. I think maybe that's the way it should be for a punk band because um, you know, I, I it doesn't. I don't even really think about it. It doesn't bother me because I think you know we we live in a time where um, we have uh, with social media we have really um, compartmentalized everything and everyone. Things are black and white. They're good or bad. People are good or bad, which, of course, uh, not only do I find that just wrong uh, on the face of it, but I also find that a very – I found that to be a very boring way to look at people. I mean you've reduced people to something 
not very interesting. And, 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 um, and you've reduced individuals, right. To, to, to a part of a group. And I think that's, um, I don't just think that's wrong. I think that's, uh, tragic for you when you do it. That's tragic for us when we do that, uh, because we're missing out on something that informs our own lives. And it's, it's a very bad road to go down. So I think we're better off, whether we're looking at, you know, my band or whether we're looking at ourselves or other people, we're better off acknowledging that people are much more complex than, than just being able to put a label on them or say, um, you know, even people who maybe want to be easily labeled to, to say, actually, you know, people are contradictory, they're complex, they're sometimes good, they're sometimes bad, and, and that that is all interesting and a value rather than just saying, you know, essentially it's almost like yeah. that, the Marie Kondo thing of like, I want to, I want to, you know, clean up and organize oh, yeah. my life very neatly, which I guess is fine if you want to do that in your house, but I don't know if it's a very good thing to do with other people. Yeah, people are not avatars. But I feel like in Carnival of Schadenfreude and also uh, First World Manifesto, you kind of go into this and you are talking a lot about, uh, I mean, you're not talking about Twitter, but you kind of are. You're kind of talking about the way people are being reduced down to their simple, like you have the song about, you know, how you, um, you know, have a big house and watch Fox News and all this stuff. And uh, obviously that's that's not me. I know that's not you. I know that's not you. That's a character. That's a character. Um, you're creating these characters that are poking kind of holes in the way that people see other people as one dimensional is what I'm saying. Um, and with those two albums, you did talk a lot about, about political correctness and about the idea of being canceled and, uh, the idea of people becoming these one dimensional characters and you play with that. And I love that. And it's so tongue in cheek and anyone that doesn't understand that or just doesn't look past what you're saying at just face value is not really reading into what you're doing. But I feel like with this album, you I don't think you've ever really talked about gender and being a woman or a man in 2020 as intensely or like as explicitly as this album. And I'm thinking mostly of the song Problematic and God Help Us. And in Problematic, you do this sort of crocodile rock vibe. I was getting like, me and Susie had so much fun and like sort of a Danny Zuko like monologue that's so cunning and so smart. But um, I wonder how many people are going to take it at face value. And like, I want you to I want you to talk about those two songs specifically and like where you how you were feeling about kind of gender in America and like what you were kind of trying to say there. Of the, of the two, I mean, you know, first of all, Problematic is a very similar song to the first song on the record, She Ain't Your Baby. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're both novelty songs. They're both songs trying to accomplish the same thing. They even share a chord progression. So my argument to the producer was we can't put both those songs on the same record. It's overkill, but he, he, he really, really liked both songs. So I had to, that's why I kind of spread them out. Yeah, in the sequence. Um, but they're both, they're, they're, they're taking a slightly different um, approach, but they're both kind of the same thing. And, you know, obviously it's a sarcastic song um, that addresses problematic the one you're talking about is a sarcastic song that addresses the um what i see as the uh the the kind of confusion or incoherence i guess would be the better word of of some of the current um 
I hesitate to say feminist positions because I think they're not held by most feminists. I mean, I think a, if you look at Twitter, you think they're really popular opinions, right. but, but you're forgetting that you're looking at the vocal minorities. You know, you women, and and maybe it was unfair that women. In fact, it certainly was unfair that women were expected to be tough. But women definitely projected that idea that they could take care of themselves. They didn't need, at least, you know, in the circles I moved in, that they didn't need a man to talk for them, or uh, they weren't just there at the show to hold the guy's coat or or whatever while he went into the pit or whatever. All that stuff right. was because we were, of course, we were against that mentality. We thought it was silly and. Uh, retrograde and all that um and it seems like we've almost come full circle in that where like suddenly women need to be protected yeah, from us I, big bad brutes. i think one of the things for, as a as a female from my perspective it's like i feel sometimes like i'm being sequestered into this like well you're a female musician so you are in this female oriented space and you're going to be on a female festival lineup that's all female i love women that's why i have a cool podcast where when i find a cool lady i want to talk to or a lady man such as right. yourself <laughs> i will reach out and talk to them i mean i i it's not about supporting women or not it's that i i want to be respected for my own merit and like what i do and i think that that is something that um younger women are kind of being almost taught that um no 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 like you know you are you, yeah you need to be safe you need to be protected your feelings can be hurt that's a lie no one can hurt your feelings you know yeah. that's on you like having responsibility for your own responses and how you approach you know 
perhaps a situation where maybe you feel like you're being unfairly treated. Like the fact that I feel like I can stand up for myself makes me feel empowered. And I think some of the culture and some of like the cultural like words we're using around gender is like you said, it's very like, no, no, no. Like you're, you're strong, but you're dainty. And you know, your feelings are very, very important. And the most, the worst thing that could ever happen to you is your feelings being hurt um, or being triggered. And I think that's kind of dangerous, you know, because Nobody well, can trigger me, you know? It's from the stomach to the free speech issue, too, because as is the case with, say, speech that you don't like or that, that offends you, I think the same thing holds true for people who want to be jerks to you. The best, um, you know, in an ideal world, maybe, you know, nobody would be a jerk to anybody and we wouldn't need to do this. But the best defense against that always is being able, you know, being willing and able to stand up for yourself and having a, a good retort. And again, I mean, I think that the argument that there are some people maybe that aren't as good at that as others is a valid one. And I understand that. But um, but, you know, you're not going to you're not going to rid the world of um, of bad people. You know, I've tried to. Josie Cotton. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of badass women, I love Josie Cotton. And like a lot of people, I think I got turned on to her through your version of Johnny, Are You Queer? Um, Way back in the early 90s. And um, that's how I found out about her. And now I'm a huge fan of her. I love all of her stuff. Her new stuff that just came out, Everything is Oh Yeah, is fantastic. Um, She's Her voice is so unique. And the fact that you got her to do this is so rad. Like, how did you con? How did this happen? And was she like, "Oh yeah, you did that song, one of my songs way back in the day." Like, fine, cool. Or, or was she kind of weirded out about it? About it, you know? 
No, I, um, I, you know, it's typical to the way I do things where I kind of throw something at a wall, assuming it's going to, it's going to flop and slide off and leave a stain. And, and every once in a while it sticks, but I had seen, uh, some kind of social media post where she had, you know, really expressed, um, uh, a lot of affection for our cover of that song. And so I said, you know what, I, I, I wanted, I mean, to me, that song was crying out for a male-female duet, and I really wanted a female vocal on there. And I thought, you know, she's 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 got a real life. She's a real singer. She doesn't have time for our little rinky-dink, you know, duct tape and bubblegum show. But I'll I'll just ask her. I'll reach out on Instagram, and she got back right away. And she said, "Oh hell yes!" And I was oh like, "Oh okay." <laughs> Uh, and she has a studio down there in LA, so it was real easy to, to put together. I mean, she just, she just killed it. You know, she's a pro. So cool. and, uh, so yeah, it's, it's, I love that she's on the record and you're right. Her new stuff. The thing is she's, you know, she's one of those people, unfortunately, who gets lumped in as being uh, kind of a one hit wonder. And so nobody really realizes she's a very, very, very good songwriter, even a great songwriter, great. I would say. Yeah. From and, the hip is um, great. Everything from the hip, the album from the hip. Yeah. Amazing. She can really, now she didn't write Johnny or you queer, but she can really write songs. She gets songs. And, um, and so I, I'm with you. You should have her on your podcast if you haven't, because she's, um, she's doing really good work to this day. And that's very rare to get older and, and still be doing good work. But I think she took time off from, from music and that can really make a big difference.
like about her stuff is there's sort of it's orchestrated in a pop sensibility the way she puts everything together and i feel like this album is very orchestrated in a sense where this is not just a you know meat and potatoes punk or rock and roll album by any means there's a lot of thought going into this um i feel like even some baby fat like kind of vibes happening just in the sense that some of these songs that you've done um i'm trying to think of certain ones um are are very big and have lots of different elements and they have a lot of drama um so since you're not doing forgive me if i'm wrong but you're not doing a lot of the music the actual playing i mean you're not doing guitar obviously you have an amazing ripping insane guitar player um are you kind of sitting back and kind of being the maestro and like how are you approaching songwriting now because i feel like there's just a lot going on on this album yeah i, I mean it really you, you know you kind of have to go through it piece by piece and say well what what yeah. of that is me and what of it is the individual musicians and what of it is the producer and it's really uh quite a mix of all those things uh yeah i'm thinking like uh to hell with you and not even close like they're so grandiose to me to have that section 
where the kind of military style drums come in. That was very a very specific idea from my point of view, and we worked on that in rehearsal a couple of years ago, and and couldn't quite get it right. And then in the process of making the album, the producer was able to do that, and he actually added a second drum track in there at some point yeah. um, to really emphasize that. But yeah, that's I mean, it's all it's all deliberate. Um, there are there are cases though, like the last song on the album. Uh, is a, was originally going to be the last song for the back two of Baby Fat, and I, I is it bleed the, bleed through me? Yeah. So Mike, the producer, added a verse there. He added a lead, a second lead section. He made it a much longer song because mine was like verse, short lead section, verse, and then the first time you hear the chorus, it's the outro. Yeah. So, and he said, "Let's you know, let's extend that." I wasn't sure about it, but. Um, I think it was the right decision, and uh, but but that is you know the outro of that song, and we didn't fade it out for this reason. I mean, it was you know we kind of went back and forth on whether we should fade it, but it's uh, um, influenced um, in terms of the concept of 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 a very 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 long outro is influenced to a large degree by the Buzzcocks song, uh, I believe where they do that. And, um, but, but what I wanted to do was really continually add layers. Of you do things. that. <laughs> so some of the stuff you hear on the outro, I specifically sat down usually on piano mm -hmm. and, and said, I want this on the guitar, this melody on the guitar, this one on the keyboard. Some of it was stuff the guys came up with. Um, some of it's the stuff the producer came up with and stuff. So it really depends on the song, but I would say, uh, to a much larger degree than any other record I've done before, the musicians who played on the record had had um, quite a lot to do with it and and deserve a lot of the credit and played really 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 well and not just from a technical standpoint but from the standpoint of um, doing everything that they could to create in interesting parts that don't um, stand up and beg for attention, but rather serve the song. Yeah. And um, that can be a difficult thing for, for people to do sometimes, especially for musicians who maybe don't always get a lot of um, notice, like drummers and, and bass players. I mean, the only people who not notice drummers and bass players are other drummers and bass players, right? That's true. That's true. But they, they must feel proud, too, that they're your live band. And you yeah. know, it's the first full-length album with your live band. That must really like have a sense of camaraderie around it. I'm sure they're very like proud and excited about you know it, all be, being together. Yeah, because you know we've been trying to make this record and failing for years, and and it was always my intention like let's get these guys for the first time on on a full-length record. Get this lineup because I know how good they are. And I know how good they'll be in the studio with our producer. So let's make it happen. And it was just such a struggle. But when it finally happened, it was so much better than I even imagined it would be. I'm, I'm incredibly, incredibly pleased with the performances on this uh, record. It's crazy. It's like you would think, oh, he just hired out some badass guns like to just do this. But no, this is your band. You yeah. Know? <laughs> I mean, this is sure. Band. This is a band a in a band. more real sense than any other lineup of Screeching Weasel. In that sense, when you talk about people contributing musically and people like getting in there and really working their balls off because there's a common goal, we yeah. 
So, and, and anyone who's a fan of your band knows there's been 80 million people to come through the doors and, and some very, very important founding people that have been, you know, important to the band and stuff. Um, but to keep this thing going, like I think you've said before that you you hope your best album is the one that you haven't made yet, right? And sure. to do that, you're going to need fresh ideas. You know, you can't... I mean, I like also on this album, there's a melding of sort of your like weasel solo. You haven't gotten rid of that. But also sure. there's this like counterpart of like this these really like big um, rock and roll solos too that kind of go together. It's almost like you're have one foot, you know, kind of, okay, Screeching Weasel fans, this is for you. And for everybody else, you know, here's a little something extra you didn't know you needed. And here it is. Hope you yeah, like it. <laughs> a big part of that was that for many years, we had nobody in the band who could play that style. So, you know, I always wrote the majority of the, the kind of typical, what you would call the Weasel lead. I would say probably about 97 to 98% of those were written by me. If anybody else ever wrote them, they got a songwriting credit. So, um, and they were they were written that way because I'm not a very good lead guitarist. But my my plan was my idea was well I'll play them like this, and then when a real guitarist plays them, they'll sound like real leads. But that never happened because we didn't have a lead guitarist who could do that. So we finally did get one in the late nineties in Zach Damon. So if you listen to an album like television city dream, you will hear that style coming a little bit more and, um, and a little bit to the extent uh, with Drew Fredrickson on first world manifesto, but, but certainly it's become more of a thing now. And the other thing is the other guitarist, Mike Hunchback brings his kind of surf guitar, you know, echo plex um, sort of thing to it, which is a which is a, a real pretty radical difference from what we've done in the past, and yet he's a big fan, and so he's able to do that in a way that actually, in my opinion, really fits in really well, and yet it gives it gives a different dimension to totally. it. Totally, uh, yeah. So, I have on my notes. I'm like, talk to Ben about the surf guitar, and yeah. there's a lot of double snare hits happening here. You know, I love that shit. I was just yeah. like, oh, be still, my heart. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, definitely what song is it? Losing My Mind yeah. uh, has a really cool groove to it um, definitely not surf guitar kind of solos but the just the general uh, zhuzh of the song um, it's really cool to hear that it kind of gives space in between some of the more distorted guitars and just like it gives a little like break you know yeah, yeah. Um, I do have a question though related to oh go ahead I, I was gonna I was gonna try and steer it back to God help us because you 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 listed that as one along with problematic. Oh, can I tell you why I did that? The reason what? I listed it with problematic was uh, God help us. I feel like is your response to like the people that are 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 kind of on Twitter that maybe are super PC and you're saying I am the 21st century man. Am I a monster? You created me. What do you think of me? That's it's not, not actually. It's not actually that, but you're not. Um, okay. Not completely off base. So that's why I put those two together because I thought, okay, well, one is. Li- it's like they're talking to each other, and then God help help us is like, well, I, am I the monster you thought you created? Like. No, so, no, but I can see why you would say that. But 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 the gender aspect of it is very very subtle, and it is something that um, most people aren't going to pick up on, and that's why I thought it was interesting you brought it up, because the, the song is primarily in a sci-fi horror, um, horror uh, uh, 
thing uh, theme, in, and that is continued in um, some of the other songs like uh, yeah, the alien one, and and what's the other one I can't the one with the alien. What is it? Um, oh yeah, Dead by Dawn. Yeah, Dead by Dawn is like Evil Dead, right, or something. And, and, and kind of, but and brain brain in a jar. I yeah. mean, obviously there are Evil Dead references in it. science fiction element which is, is based on some stuff I was reading and films I'm into and things like that but um, but having said that um, there there is of course a double meaning to this because there is the straight sci-fi reading but God help us has this other reading as well yes it does which, which is this it doesn't have anything to do with me personally it has to do with the idea of men in general especially younger men maybe in their teens and 20s, what is happening to us as a result, what is happening to men, what is happening to masculinity as a result of that? I don't mean that necessarily in the Jordan Peterson sense, maybe, but just in the sense of every change has um, unintended consequences. No matter how necessary the change is, no matter how good it is, it has unintended consequences. And I'm very interested in, and I'm certainly not the only one, because the guy who wrote Fight Club, I think, was very interested in that. In that, I never read the book it was based on, but in that movie, certainly, um, very interested in the idea. It seems to me of the what happens to an almost rootless, you know, raised by women with with men pre, uh, not present. And I assume that author is probably closer to my age than yours, and realizes that you know when we were growing up, the the and divorce, you know, not, no fault divorce created the situation where there's a lot more divorce. And the the feminist implications of this, which were correct to a certain extent, was you don't need a man um, to to raise a child. But the part that we missed was that's actually the ideal, and it's the ideal for a reason because boys and girls need models 
for, right. and that's their primary place they're going to get it is in the home. And what happens when we not only eliminate that, but when we eliminate it with almost a political point of view that says, yeah, men basically aren't necessary. What does, what does a young man indoctrinated in that mentality grow up to be? Obviously a reference to Frankenstein. So you're looking at this almost supernatural creation um, on the, you know, that's kind of the, the face value of the song. But, and, but you're also looking at, and to me, I'm a big fan of, of David Cronenberg's stuff, especially his 70s and 80s stuff, where that idea of body horror and, and, and um, uh, the new flesh and, and video drama and things like that. So I'm really interested in one of the best examples you see in Cronenberg is The Brood, where there's this physical manifestation uh, that this woman experiences and, and it comes out through this controversial therapy and actually creates this horrible little little uh, brood of, of creatures, right? And, <laughs> I'll have and to so, watch that. And, and I find that fascinating. Now you combine that with the Theodore Sturgeon novel, um, and why can't I remember the name? More Than Human. Okay. Uh, uh, and the idea of the homo gestalt, where, um, where this new, almost godlike creature is being created out of parts of different people. So the people themselves, and there's obviously parallels to the idea of the body of Christ, Christ being the head, the members of the church being the body. So there's all sorts of really interesting stuff in there. Now, on top of all that, you throw in Catholicism and and my ideas about the body and the importance of the body when you're talking about the Eucharist being the literal sacrificial body and blood of Christ. There's a lot of juicy stuff there yeah. to make you think about things like sacrifice, transformation, mutation even. Yeah. And so all those, there's this big soup of things that's happening there, but a really important part of that from my perspective, and, and it's very subtle, but that's the line that brings it out. I'm the 21st century man. You made me. You made me. You, the, this world made me what I am. Do you like what you see now? Because it's a, it's a monster. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you created a monster. Yeah. And, uh, um, and really, that's, I think, the charm of, of Frankenstein. You know, if you ever go back and read, forget the movie, which the movie is, is fine, but if you go back and read the novel. Mary Shelley, it, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a very, yes, it's a very, very, very um, well-considered analysis of the ethical implications of some of the things that we're dealing with today. You know, when you talk about markers for, you know, Down syndrome, do we remove that? You know, should we should we go into embryos and remove all these undesirable traits? Should right. we even go as far to say we want a baby with blue eyes or, you know, all those kind of things? I mean, those raise a lot of difficult ethical questions. So, there, it, you know, that, that novel remains as timely now as it did then. And clearly the answer that we come to is no. But, but at the same time, what, what happens is the monster becomes by far a more interesting character than yeah. the doctor. Right. The monster is actually very interesting and very introspective. And he's trapped in this horrible situation where he knows he shouldn't exist. And he's very hostile toward the doctor for, for making him. Uh, all, those, all those concepts, I think, come together in various ways through that little mini theme on the record um, through, through several, several uh, songs. I feel like I kept getting that in there and I was like, yeah. okay, I think I'm picking up what you're putting down, but, uh, that yeah. you've just added a lot of like extra layers 
And, that, and, and that's the point, because I don't want to do something where, like, the novelty songs are super fun, but having three of them on an album, because we've got Problematic, She Ain't Your Baby, and Never Been In Love, right. those are all completely face value. Right. Like, if you can't figure out what's going on in those songs, I can't help you. because I feel it's, like Never Been In Love could have been a dwarf song or something like that, too. I look at it, see, it's funny you say that, because I look at it more like a Mr. T experience song, and, and you know, okay. maybe by, by way of, like, George Jones or something. I mean, it's very much supposed to evoke that country music thing, a bunch of guys sitting around in a bar, like, giving a guy shit, and he's like, yeah. no, 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 man, I'm above, I'm above all this. Yeah. So, um... Again, you are toying with a lot of these masculine themes, like you really yeah. are, a lot of these, even that song. Yeah. It's, it's like a bunch of dudes hanging out, kind of, you know, pretending that they're above. But that's thing, isn't it? Because we run the risk. And I think, I think we, um, you know, we've touched on this in this conversation already, but we always run the risk when we say that we're equal, which to me is clearly self-evident. Um, but then we think that equal means, like essentially the same that differences don't matter. Or the differences are bad, right? Yeah, differences matter tremendously. What they what what we need to do, and this is you know because that's biologically driven. What we need to do is use our brains to not allow those differences to drive us apart because they're not meant to. To actually allow those differences to bring us together, to re realize and appreciate and respect the value that other points of view. And that other, and frankly, from my point of view, the really weird quirks that individual people have to embrace those. I mean, to me, that was always one of the great promises of punk, the great unfilled promises of punk, was the idea that people's idiosyncrasies and quirks were one of the things that made them the most interesting and that we ought to be rewarding the people who yeah. were, were willing to display those quirks. And that necessarily meant that we were allowing some bad people in. We're, we, that meant some crazies got in and some people with bad intentions. But um, but the value of the real weirdos, I think, was very quickly um, negated by uh, uh, and and pushed aside by the desire to be in political lockstep. I think that really, I think politics is you know the 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 gravitation towards politics was very destructive. And ultimately, you know, if you if your if your point of view is fundamentally political, then you have to believe. You have to believe in a utopia. You have to believe that if if everything is fundamentally political, that there is an end in sight. Someday, somehow, maybe not in our lifetime, but someday, somehow, we are going to figure it all out. And I'm completely diametrically opposed to that point of view. I think the human condition is what it is. We cannot change the human condition here in this world. And our job is not to do that. I think the answer can be found in the spiritual or the metaphysical. I don't think the answer can be found in the political. And in fact, I think it's a mistake to try. I think it hurts us personally. I think it destroys us artistically. I think it's a, a, a death knell for the artist or the creative person. And um, I think it makes life a lot more boring. boring. Life is a lot more interesting when you're interacting with people, when maybe you're talking to people with whom you disagree about a given subject. You can't ever effectively argue against a point of view if you never hear it, right? If, you're, if all you ever have is a characterization of what somebody thinks, 
that's the only thing you're ever going to be able to argue against. And nobody on that side is ever going to listen because they go, well, that's just a stereotype. That's not who I am. I actually have right. a little depth and complexity than that. And I'm not saying everybody's like that. Some people embrace those, those negative um, stereotypes. But um, it's a lot more interesting to see um, the kind of ebb and flow in people and, and how some, sometimes people aren't very good, but sometimes they have these unexpected um, moments of, of, you know, altruism or of compassion and, and, and empathy and all these things. To me, real human beings in all their complexity and with all their faults are far more interesting than these perfect little soldiers we seem to be trying to create on social media. Right, the avatar. Yeah. That's funny. I think that's why people care about what comes out of your mouth. Because <laughs> they know you're you're going to show it all, you know, and that there are layers to you and, and you, you actually live by definition. So um, I have I have some very serious flaws. There's no <laughs> question. But 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 I take solace in the fact that no matter how people try to pretend otherwise, everybody else does, too. And that gives me comfort late at yes. night. All right, folks, right here is edited for your pleasure. So we can go straight into, you know, where all philosophical conversations always lead to jazz. So enjoy this. Stick around because there's still more. Yes, but culturing to me goes so far beyond jazz. I, I wouldn't even call him a jazz musician. I mean, he was yeah. basically the Beethoven of, of jazz. Totally. And so he, he transcends the genre. Mm -hmm. And so much of what he did was that reaching, that yearning for that, trying to express the inexpressible through art, which I think is the greatest thing we can do as people who create. And we can do it in really simple ways that don't seem maybe like very much, but are. Yeah. Or we can do it in ways that maybe are a little more obvious. But I believe that as creative people, that is what we're all aiming for. We're all aiming for trying to grab that thing that won't be grasped and that can't be explained and yet that is, I believe, the driving force in all our lives from an emotional and a spiritual point of view. This concept of hope that there's something better, there's something absolutely beautiful and something absolutely perfect. We might think about just one little totally inconsequential moment in our life when we got a, a grasp of that and we can remember that for decades, for years, for our entire lives, something that happened in our youth. I'm not talking about an event, understand. I'm talking about the way you glimpse the sun coming yeah, through the wind or totally. something like that. That is what I think we're trying to create when we create. And when we do that, I think we've reached that, um, we've reached, you know, that highest pinnacle of what art is meant to do. And then everything else falls into place. And then you're coming from a place where you do understand the human condition. And so hopefully you can then work your lyrics in a way that complement that. But it all starts with the music. Holy crap. <laughs> I am, I am converted. <laughs> am I up my own ass about all this? No, it's, it's very uplifting. Like, I think I needed to hear that right now. The world is really scary. And I think, you really hit the nail on the head. I mean, that's what we're all trying to do. The world is really scary right now, and art is going to save us. Fuck yeah, that's right. That is right. Damn. That is... Everything you just said is amazing. I don't even know how we can top that. Um, I had, like... I think we're at about an hour, so I'll let you go. I did have, like, two small little questions I just have to ask you. If you want to go, do it. Go ahead. I must ask you. Um... I, you've talked before about uh, Dr. Frank and his, like, thoughts about rhyming. And yeah. 
<laughs> my husband and I, you know, we, we collaborate a lot and we, we're, we're weird. Like, so we'll listen to a song and if there's a really simple rhyme that's like night, light, dark, bark, whatever, we'll be right. just listening to the radio cooking or something and he'll be like, ah, you catch that? That's a lazy rhyme right there. So uh, we have this theory that's more like it's better to rhyme words that kind of sound the same but don't and trick your mind into thinking that they sound the same almost. Um, and I, we were look, look, looking at some of your rhymes last night. There's some really good ones in there. There's some really good rhymes. I wonder like what your theory and philosophy is on it, on songwriting and rhyming. And theory and philosophy actually yeah. changed for this album because I very stupidly went on the internet and saw Frank talking about that, and I was like, oh my god, I got to change everything. Can you and, reiterate uh, what he said? Can you kind of reiterate what he said about it? Because I didn't catch that. I think it was in response to somebody who was asking the question. But basically, when you um, all things considered, a perfect rhyme is better than a near rhyme. And um, Really? But really? And wow. Yeah. And I think there's a lot to that. I don't think there's everything to it. I'm certainly not as hardcore as Frank. And if you look over the course of my stuff, I want to explain to you why this changed why I wrote. Because it wasn't just Fred, Frank said this thing and I agreed with it and I went and did it. Okay. But if you look over the course, I'm I'm like the king of near rhymes. I mean, I do. I, I have I never cared about, you know, a perfect rhyme versus a near rhyme. But he made me realize, actually, there is some truth to that. It is, um, it is more satisfying as a writer, and I think it's more satisfying to the ear. Um, and what happened was right after I read that, I was in the store, like, getting my kid a cell phone. And... Uh, so I'm in there forever, and this song was playing. God, I wish I could remember the rhyme, but it's like kind of one of those modern, like, sort of hip-hop, sort of R&B kind of songs with a female singer. What was she rhyming? It was so brutal. It was so brutal, and it was the chorus, so it was repeated a lot. It was like Carolina or something like that, but it was a really imperfect um, rhyme that was just so forced and so oh, unpleasant. Like, so like it was just really, you had to push to make it work is what you're saying. It, I would say that it stuck out and I kept thinking, why didn't the producer <laughs> stop, put a stop to that? Okay. Cause it doesn't work. Okay. Right. And, um, and I said, I'm going to give this a shot. And the, so the effect of it was the reason why I went ahead and did it is because I said, okay, let me just look at a couple things here. I figured I'd tweak like one or two lines. As I started doing it, I realized a lot of these lyrics are nowhere near as tight as they could be. Like they're good, but the, but, but why shouldn't I make them better? So I sat down over the course of, I don't know, a couple of weeks. I spent probably 20, 25 hours doing nothing but revising lyrics. Oh, God. It was it was very difficult. I've never had yeah. that. I've never worked that hard on lyrics. One of the bad things about it was was it right right before I did vocals. So I left a couple of mistakes on the on the record that annoy me. One in particular where I used the word flesh in a very specific way in uh, God help us in in two consecutive verses. But uh, I just didn't catch it. But but what what I was doing was going. If I force myself, I realized really quickly, if I force myself to try to make a perfect rhyme there, it then forces me to think about the line in a ton of different ways. And that is as hard a job as that is to do. That's nothing but beneficial. Okay. You, never, you should never be totally married 
if you have a killer line, you should never be totally married to it. You should be able, I think, when you write a song, if you need to, to take your absolute best line and shit can it. Because everything has to be in service of the song. Everything has to be in service of the theme of the song. And I found that going back and working on those rhymes, and there are still plenty of rhymes on the album that are not perfect rhymes. You try finding a, uh, a, a line for um, Rebel, okay? Because other than Pebble, I can't uh, think of one off the top of my head. So I went with Level. Level. I was going to say Level. Yeah. But that's not a perfect rhyme. So, because it's I, a V. I have to everybody. think about this. You're really ruining my life with this information. <laughs> what I'm saying is, I think if you go into it with the idea that it's not okay. a hard and fast rule, it has to be adhered to all the time, but that it's basically the preferred way to do it, the effect that it had on me, your mileage may vary, the effect it had on me was to make me sit down and go, what am I actually saying here? And am I saying it in the most effective way that's possible? Valuable. That's really start. valuable. That's yeah. good. That's good. So that's, that's, yeah. that's what I discovered is that when I was done doing that, yeah, I had perfect rhymes, but way more importantly than that, I was just, everything was so much tighter. Everything was so much more effective. Every word had way more impact than it did okay. before. Well, I think it works on the record. You can definitely tell the impact is there. Thank you. Um, I feel like we t had this wonderful crescendo end of this interview. And then I just like, was like, wait, I need to nitpick and talk about, a really specific thing, but that's just like my nerdiness. So I appreciate you um, giving us this time and uh, chatting with me. It's been really, really cool. It's been awesome. Yeah. Well, I didn't. I, I didn't want to push you into being on your podcast because I didn't know it was female only. But you know, if it makes you feel better, we were Screeching Weasel was the first non-California band. In fact, I think we were the first non-Bay Area band to be on Lookout Records. Right. And Oh, and so now I'm the I'm the first non-woman to be on uh, the Glitter Gals. What is your podcast called? You're gonna be in so much trouble for calling it the Glitter Gals. Just kidding. It's called Sparkle and Destroy. And um, at the end of it, I always ask my subjects how they sparkle and then how they destroy. And I feel like you kind of already did that with your amazing that. speech. Like you kind of, I mean, you really sparkled hard there. So okay. I'm not gonna ask you that. And we all know how I destroy. I mean, yeah, that's just, I, I open my mouth. Yeah, that's and, true. That's why I love to hate Ben Weasel, or as I like to say, my best friend Ben Weasel. So, ah, thank you, Ben. Crusher, you're a delight. <laughs> Knows that the podcast is not called Glitter Gals, and I know it's not called Glitter Gals, uh, and I appreciate the fact that uh, he feels like I can handle that because I can dish it out, and yes, I can take it. Um, thanks again to Ben Weasel for being on the show. It was super fun, super cool. Uh, hopefully, all of you guys stay safe. Um, right now, everyone's staying home, so I think that just continuing that is probably the best route right now. Make sure you're eating lots of fresh fruits and vegetables, and just like we just talked about on the podcast. Work on your creative work. Do the things that make you feel inspired. Um, the world needs your art now more than ever. So looks like you got some work to do. All right, guys. Sparkle and destroy.